Republicans have yet again failed to elect a speaker of the House, despite being poised to take control and swear in their new elected members like George Santos, who has not actually been sworn in yet, even though he said he was. We'll get to that later, despite the endorsement of the failed former president, Donald Trump. Kevin McCarthy has lost again and again and yes, again. That makes it six total times. And this exposes, number one, the complete inability to actually lead and get things done productively, even in the easiest of circumstances like we have control. Let's pick a speaker. It exposes increasingly the potentially dwindling power and prestige to the extent extent that there was ever prestige of the MAGA portion of the Republican Party. And it also raises real national security questions. When you don't have a speaker, there are national security uh, risks. We will talk about that later as well. Rolling Stone reporting McCarthy loses again despite nod from Trump. The House of Representatives has rejected the California representative for a fourth and probably not final time on Wednesday, subsequently rejecting him a fifth time and then a sixth time. And then the voting set to uh, pick back up again today. I'm sure by the time you listen to today's program, we may know more. There may have been more votes. Now, the despite the nod from Trump is very interesting. Today's Thursday. Yesterday was Wednesday on Tuesday when the first votes for McCarthy failed. People uh, NBC News went to Trump and said, do you still support McCarthy? And he didn't respond much later on in the day. Trump spoke to people, presumably checked out what Tucker Carlson was saying, Sean Hannity and others. And then he issued on Wednesday morning the following not reluctant, but not exactly the most ringing endorsement of Kevin McCarthy saying on a truth social truth central quote, some really good conversations took place last night. And now and it's now time for all of our great Republican House members to vote for Kevin, close the deal, take the victory and watch crazy Nancy Pelosi fly back home to a very broken California the only speaker in U.S. history to have lost the House twice. Republicans do not turn a great triumph into a giant, embarrassing defeat. It's time to celebrate. You deserve it. Kevin McCarthy will do a good job, maybe even a great job. Just watch. Not exactly a full throated endorsement, and it appears not to have quite been enough, not to be quite enough to get Kevin McCarthy over the finish line. Now, I wrongly assumed yesterday that it would become less and less entertaining each time that Kevin McCarthy lost, each time that Kevin McCarthy failed. It has actually become more entertaining each time because he seems increasingly exasperated and desperate. Now, at this point, there are discussions of should Democrats make a deal with Republicans to vote present? rather than to vote for Hakeem Jeffries, who Democrats have been completely united behind the idea being uh, or to abstain from voting altogether. And the idea here is Democrats aren't going to vote for a Republican for House Speaker. But would Democrats help lower the threshold from the 218 needed votes lower so that maybe 212 gets Kevin McCarthy the numbers that he needs? I don't believe Democrats should do this. The idea that now it is Democrats who have to come to the rescue of Republicans because somewhere between 10 and 20 maggots in the House are holding the speakership hostage. It is not for Democrats to fix that. Now, I recognize there are national security risks to not having a speaker, but that's on Republicans. And I hope that Democrats uh, don't do that. The counterpoint would be are there six Republicans who can be bought and who would vote for Hakeem Jeffries? Now, I don't mean a bribe. I don't mean literally take cash. But what I mean is, are there six reasonable Republicans in the House who are willing to come to the table with Democrats and say, listen, you guys have a mess on your hands. It's a bigger mess than, you know, whatever Trump is flushing 10 to 15 times or whatever analogy you want to use. You guys have a mess on your hands. We are united 
and we are ready to govern and we could have debt ceiling issues that come up. We could have a natural disaster that happens, which we need to respond to. We've not sworn anyone in. We don't have a speaker. This is a problem. Be part of the solution. We will be willing to, you know, bring forward for debate issues of importance to you, whatever, a negotiation like adults. Are there six Republicans willing to do that? I think the answer is no, but it's worth exploring that uh, if you are the Democrats before you're going to acquiesce to these absurd demands from people like Matt Gates and others. It's completely and totally pathetic. So that's what's going on. Six losses now for Kevin McCarthy. By the way, the record number of ballots, I believe it's 133 and it was a very long time ago. So we're nowhere close to the record, but certainly for the last hundred years, this is a, this is a record. So that's where we are right now. Let's now talk about the explosively growing civil war within the, the, the Republican Party and the right wing uh, about what's going on. I'm going to show you some stunning video here. Propagandist Sean Hannity and radical, repugnant, reactionary Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert got into it last night on Fox News. Sean Hannity increasingly seems sick of this contingent of MAGA that is um, holding up what could be Republicans picking a speaker and getting everybody sworn in and moving forward. This is really good. This is the self-destructive nature of this party that is unable to govern, that doesn't care about policy, that is obsessed with cultural issues and going anti-woke and all of this nonsense. This came to a head last night when Lauren Boebert appeared with Sean Hannity and Hannity went right after her. And I have to say, Hannity makes some statistically good points here. And I'll, I'll explain in a moment. Take a look at this. You said complimentary things about President Trump needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have sir? the votes. It's time to withdraw. Let me turn the tables, Congresswoman. Kevin McCarthy has 202, three votes. Your side has 20. So if I'm going to use your words and your methodology and your math, uh, isn't it time for you to pack it in and your side to pack it in, considering he has over 200 and you have 20? Now, this is strictly speaking true. Hannity is completely correct. If you want to talk about who's being stubborn or obstinate or holding this up despite not having the numbers on their hands, it is a sort of tyranny of this minority of the Republican Party. Most of the Republican Party is united, but the rules are the rules. But the frustration that Hannity is experiencing because this is becoming a clown show is well placed. Sean, I understand the frustration. I promise you, but I'm not um, frustrated. You didn't answer my question. And we are hearing we I'm are not, hearing I'm from many frustrated. people who are still voting with Kevin McCarthy. You're who not are answering very supportive my question of what we're doing. And they're cheering us on. So there are more for us than are against us. And they are waiting for Kevin to cave. Okay. Um, you know, the American people are certainly frustrated by I'm frustrated by you not answering a direct question. You said to President Trump, you, you said earlier today that President okay. Trump needs to tell Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy you don't the have the we votes. Need to come up Hold with a Can I finish? Candidate to elect a Can I finish? The House. You don't have the votes and it's time to withdraw. He has 203. Your side has 20. Why is it time for him to withdraw and not you when he has so many more votes? Well, Sean, he needs 218, and he does not have 218. We've been trying Neither to work this you. out in private, as you said, for months. But Kevin McCarthy didn't even want to listen to us until his disappointing midterms. We all want a Yeah. So uh, Sean Hannity making a perfectly fine point. It is also completely OK for a Republican who doesn't want Kevin McCarthy to be speaker not to vote for him, but they need to understand the consequences. That's for them to figure out. Then Lauren Boebert says, maybe I should nominate Donald Trump tomorrow. And at this point, Hannity just says, what you're turning this into a game show at this point is your final choice for speaker. And if you can't get more than, let's say, 30 votes, will you follow your own advice uh, that you are asking Donald Trump and withdraw? There are certainly names that are be being floated around. And hey, maybe I should nominate President Donald J. Trump tomorrow. But Sean, I, I did watch your show last night. Is this a game night, show? Like we're going to pick on this motion. Did, we're going to no, 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 pick no, Jim no, Jordan no. Listen, one day, I, I Donald the, the other day, Trump the next day? This motion to vacate because 
Hannity is actually correct in assessing the cartoonish and childish nature of some elements of this. And this kept going. When we, we don't get this have right, 30. I will not, Sean. I will not withdraw. Our we'll asks not. were were not petty of Kevin McCarthy. They were not self-serving. We simply were asking for commitments on what the American people want to see. They want to see a vote on term limits, a vote on the Texas border plan to secure the southern border. And for crying out loud, Sean, we asked for a vote on a budget that actually balances. Imagine Imagine a Congress that stops so spending you money that we don't have. We are going supporting to get this right, you. and we are going to get the right speaker, Sean. If you only have 30, to be clear, you will not withdraw. 30 is going to be a beautiful number But you're to telling reach. Kevin McCarthy and the, and the 203 people that support him to withdraw because they don't have 218. That's what you're saying. Look, it's obvious by tonight's motion to adjourn that Kevin McCarthy and his supporters are already getting you, voter fatigue. And I, I, I asked I'm you a simple question, Congresswoman. I, I she's not going to answer it. And uh, Sean Hannity is right to point out that she's not answering it. Sean Hannity is no better. I, right, I, I don't want Sean Hannity in charge of the House any more than I want Lauren Boebert in charge of the House. But the important thing that is of interest to us here is that this is really, really bad for them. Now, it's also bad for the country. Let's take it in two parts. Later, I'll tell you why this is so bad for the country and why it's a national security risk. That's the the that that's one component in terms of the Republican Party. This undermines their unity and cohesion in a literal sense. Democrats are completely united, saying we want Hakeem Jeffries. We're all behind Hakeem Jeffries and you guys are running a clown show on the Republican side. The Republicans are divided. They look disorganized there. It's Byron Donalds and then it's Jim Jordan and then maybe Bo Bear wants Trump or whatever. So this will damage their reputation. It will make it less likely they achieve their goals if and when they finally select a speaker, which I think is great. Their goals are horrible. I don't want them to achieve their goals. It distracts from issues presumably they would want to be working on. It diverts time and energy away from things they want to be doing, which is great. I don't want them doing the things they want to do. Um, It can lead to a really prolonged period of uncertainty and instability. And that is where it starts to become a national concern. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then as far as the atmosphere within their party, it's getting extraordinarily toxic. And again, I'm I'm saying why it's bad for them. I I want it to be bad for them. But the atmosphere there relationships, trust between members. Oh, we're, we're going to support Jordan and Donald and this, that, the other thing. And hopefully it will lead to a prolonged power struggle once this is done. And I, I'm guessing we've got another day or two of this. I don't know, we, but I could be wrong. I thought we'd have a speaker on Tuesday. This could lead to a continued power struggle over the next two years, which is great. And then lastly, if they finally get a speaker under these types of circumstances, It will be a speaker whose credibility and authority are not going to be solid. It is a very different thing to say. We all want Hakeem Jeffries. Hakeem Jeffries is the speaker. The authority and credibility of Jeffries is untainted versus we had six, eight, 12 votes shifting around support for alternatives to McCarthy. We eventually acquiesce if that's what happens. That hurts the credibility and authority of the speaker, which, again, is bad for them. So I hope all of these things happen. Hannity seems to recognize that this is the way the ball is increasingly rolling. I'm sure many of you will have questions about this issue and others during our upcoming viewer town hall. It is Wednesday, January 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern on our discord at davidpackmancom slash discord. It will be streaming live. Everyone is invited to participate. Members on our website will get priority access to me on the Wednesday town hall. You can, of course, sign up at joinpacman.com. Plastic is everywhere we look and not enough is being done about it. One hundred billion plastic bags are used and thrown away every year. But you can help make a change. Our sponsor, Hold On, makes trash and kitchen bags that are heavy duty, plant based, non-toxic and 100 percent home compostable which means they break down in weeks rather than decades. They don't fill up our landfills. They don't pollute our oceans. Their zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon bag sizes to fit your needs. And the best part about hold on bags is they work. I use them at home. They're just as good as all of the name brand bags. You fill them up, they stretch and they don't break. Everybody uses trash bags and freezer bags. If you care about the planet, You can do something by using hold on bags instead, and it's a really easy way to do your part. 
Go shop plant-based bags to replace single-use plastics all over your home. You'll save 20% when you go to holdonbags.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you nerd wallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to nerd Wallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app future you will thank you. It's a new year. Many of us are trying to make new positive changes. Here's something really simple that could be a game changer. Our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Every day I take a scoop of AG one. I get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and whole food sourced ingredients to last me all day long. This way, I just know my nutritional bases are covered for the entire day. It has everything I want. And that's important to me. Rather than doing the individual supplements and vitamins or whatever, I don't want to do any of that. Okay. AG1 is the simplest way to just get everything I want for my nutritional foundation each day. AG1 is also a great bang for your buck. You're going to end up spending way more on all those bottles of vitamins and supplements and minerals. So save some money, make your life easier. Just a scoop of AG1. I love the travel packs, which let me take AG1 wherever I go. I have the big pack of AG1 at home. And when you go to athleticgreens.com slash Pacman, you'll get five free travel packs plus a free year supply of vitamin D, which I use during the winter. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Lest anyone be confused, The David Pakman Show is still supported by our audience in 2023. I would love for you to sign up at joinpacman.com. Not only will you be directly supporting a program that hopefully you find valuable, you also support all of the other things we're doing, including the free white paper we've made available at davidpacman.com slash guide, the town halls, the content on new and growing platforms and on and on and on. You can sign up at joinpacman.com and you can use the coupon code 24 starts now to get yourself a discount. Earlier in the show, I told you all of the ways in which this protracted fiasco in the House of Representatives, wherein Republicans have been unable to elect a speaker, is bad for Republicans. Now, that's good. That makes me happy. I think the Republican Party is terrible for the country. I think their goals and ambitions are destructive. I want them to have a quagmire and to be unable to push forward their disgusting agenda. However, I don't want the country to fail. And as a general principle, not having a House speaker is bad for the country and it's a national security risk and it is a a source of instability Uh, on the bulwark.com. Joe Perdicone or Perdicone wrote an article touching on some of these issues called House is paralyzed without a speaker creating national security risks and a shadow shutdown. Imagine if this impasse were occurring in a presidential inaugural year. And Joe very precisely and and astutely points out all of the different ways in which this current status quo is very bad, including that no one has actually been sworn into the House of Representatives yet, even though George Santos said he was sworn in. He wasn't. And we'll get to that a little bit later. And I think it's important just to be clear about the risks that this presents. It is I would argue even simpler than Joe Perdicone lays out. It's not that he's wrong, but it's even simpler. This situation in the House where no one has been sworn in and there is no speaker, it can lead to a functional breakdown of the House of Representatives. The speaker actually plays a critical role in managing and organizing the legislative process. And with no speaker, how does the House conduct business and pass legislation? Is it possible to do? It is. But it's significantly more of a mess. 
within government, no speaker and no one sworn in causes uncertainty. It causes instability. The speaker is one of the most powerful and influential figures or positions in Congress. And the American confidence in government is certain to decline. The uh, uh, our perception of the ability of the House to govern is quite low accurately because this is what they're doing. And then you say, OK, fine, that, that's 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 abstract. But in practical terms, what could that mean? Well, it can lead to gridlock or inaction on important issues. When you think about um, uh, debt ceiling votes or if there's a, a, a natural disaster of some kind, a crisis, an emergency, uh, the need for funding in a specific place, way or form without a speaker and without a sworn in house, it is significantly more difficult for the House to actually manage those things, to respond to unforeseen events and at the end of the day to protect the country's interests. Now, do I think that Republicans don't care about that? No, I think at the individual level, a lot of these Republicans would honestly say, no, I do care about that. I understand that I'm concerned. Uh, does that mean they should compromise on their principles to the extent that this situation is is uh, uh, caused by or catalyzed by their principles? No, I'm not saying that. But we have to be factual. We have to be honest. We have to be realistic. The longer this goes on, the more instability is accurately perceived by the American people. And obviously, the longer it goes on, the the higher the chances are that something could happen domestically, internationally and in other ways that would require in normal circumstances the involvement of the House of Representatives, and they will then be chaotically scrambling to try to get involved, help or do something about it. So the primary interest from the we have uh, we have conflicting interests here. Each faction of the Republican Party wants to reign supreme in terms of ultimately deciding who is going to become Speaker of the House. I get that. That's politics. They don't want to be seen as the losers. They don't want to be seen as the ones who were impotent in trying to impose their preference of speaker. That's one area. The impact on the Republican Party we've already talked about. On the other hand, I hope that I'm accurate in assessing that the interest of the American people is to not have to think about the House of Representatives. And what I mean by that is, yes, there are some people who are more politically engaged than others who pay attention to when are the midterms, where is control of the Senate, where is control of the House and are more involved in that, including people like those who listen to this program, who watch our clips. The vast majority of the country, even many of those who vote in the midterms, don't spend their days and nights thinking about this stuff. And so if it's sort of like referees in a uh, in a sporting event, if you're noticing the referees, if you're thinking about the referees, if the referees are uh, significantly present in the game, arguably it is because they are doing something wrong or too involved or whatever the case may be. You've heard these sports analogies before. And likewise, I would argue if the American people are thinking about the chaos in the House of Representatives to the extent that it has been front and center for the last two, three days, um, it is a, it is a bad thing. It is the type of thing where we shouldn't really have to be thinking about it. The House is there. There's a natural disaster. They're going to act. They're going to they're going to help. They're going to fund. Uh, and that's where the national security risk comes here. We now have a balancing, a coming together of how long are they willing to continue this and how tolerant will the American people be before approval rating, not only for the House as a body where the approval rating is always low, but approval for their individual con uh, members of Congress is going to plummet. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm guessing we're going to start finding out about that very, very soon. Lauren Boebert appeared on Stephanie Rule's program on MSNBC last night, and it was really humiliating, absolutely unhinged and humiliating for Lauren Boebert. Lauren Boebert, of course, has been leading this anti Kevin McCarthy leading. She's been involved in this anti Kevin McCarthy um, uh, movement to the extent that it's a movement in the Republican Party. They have um, suggested everything from she might nominate Donald Trump to who the hell knows what else. She appeared last night uh, with Stephanie Rule, and you can tell that she doesn't have any idea what's going on. She's stumbling around in the dark. She knows she's supposed to oppose Kevin McCarthy uh, and, and her little constituency is opposing Kevin McCarthy. 
But there's really no there there in terms of the substance. And Stephanie Rule makes this very, very much apparent. I don't know what these names are, but I'm sure that you're going to see a lot of names beginning to emerge because we're showing that we are willing to work to unify the Republican Party and get the. By the way, imagine that the idea. I'm fine with them doing this. It's self-destructive. But the idea that Boebert's actions are unifying is laughable. Right. OK, person. sure. And, and, and maybe it's going to be me and Kim Kardashian and anyone else who can be out there. Would you How like me to nominate you, you tomorrow? How long are you willing to wait? I mean, the American people voted you in. You As waited some of my colleagues this, right? have said, we could be here power. until the cherry blossoms bloom. You've got the power. And every day that passes that you're not doing your jobs, voters are saying, hold on a second. I voted you in to get something done. Right. Know what these and they're getting absolutely nothing done, as I've pointed out to you before, and the national security risks that come with it and the self-destructive risks that come with it as well. Here's another portion of this interview. And again, Bobert just doesn't know what she's talking about. She, of course, barely won her race. She has no business being in elected office. And you can tell she's clueless. Actually, I look at it in a, a very different way. I see it as Congress not spending money that they don't have. Um, uh-huh. Because every day that I've been in Congress, we've done exactly that. So the taxpayers are actually winning here uh, because Congress hasn't organized. Look, my conservative colleagues on, and no, I are. That I want to, by the way, this is, uh, you, you know, when Marjorie Taylor Greene was kicked off of her committees. One of the things I told you is we see this as an embarrassment. You've been stripped of your duties. You're being sort of like sent home, whatever. If you believe that Congress really shouldn't do stuff, if you are actually one of these supposed small government conservatives where you, you kind of want Congress to do and, and government to do as little as possible, you actually see some of these things as wins. And what Boebert is arguing, I don't know if Republicans are really think voters are thinking about it this way, but she's saying, listen, uh, we we run at a deficit. And so the longer Congress does nothing, the better it actually is financially. Now, of course, the absurdity is taxpayer dollars are still paying for what's going on in the House chamber. It's just they're voting for speaker over and over again. It's still the same waste of money she claims doing stuff is. But she's trying to tie in that small government ideology in a way that's just laughable. I, I'm going to interrupt for you. I'm going to interrupt you. on what the American people want to see. Sure. And with every passing day, it's not that Congress isn't spending money. Anything that was put in place. Oh, during, OK, so it's Stephanie Rule making the argument I'm making during Nancy Pelosi's term. None of that is going to stop. And until you put a speaker in place, nothing that you want to do is getting done. Right. Well, unfortunately, the Senate took away our authority um, to even work with a budget uh, for the next nine months. Nancy Pelosi is ruling with a dead hand anyway. They just (laughs) Stephanie rule is completely correct. I mean, just 100 percent completely correct. And then another funny moment here where Stephanie rule points out to Lauren Boebert, you barely won that secure our southern border okay, then, and then balance a budget and America, the inflation. American voter does want Congress to work together. Right. Look at your last mm-hmm. election. You represent a red district that Donald Trump handily won and you won narrowly. And the takeaway for the entire midterms is that the country said we are done with hyperpartisanship. We want Congress to get to work and to work together. We saw today Mitch McConnell, President Biden, Mike DeWine, them working together, talking infrastructure in Kentucky. And what you're doing today is blocking your own party. Is that what your voters asked you to do? So what I hear back at home all the time from my constituents is they're furious about what the Democrats have been doing all of this time. They're furious about the border crisis, the energy crisis, the historic inflation, and so much more. And we will handle these issues and conduct serious oversight real soon when we get the speaker's position right. It's been two days. It's it's not the end of the world. We are going to come together. We tried to do this privately. Unfortunately, Kevin McCarthy wanted to take this battle to the floor. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah. So Stephanie rule accurately and precisely exposing that they don't even really know what the end game is. And as Lauren Boebert says, it hasn't been that long. We're eventually going to come together at this point. Enough damage has been done that I mean, listen, eventually there's going to be a speaker of the House. 
if it is indeed a Republican Speaker of the House, which it mo- most likely will be, although there, there's a scenario in which Hakeem Jeffries becomes the speaker and just nothing gets done because Republicans would still be in the majority. It will be a weakened speaker. It will be a speaker lacking credibility and it will be a Republican Party lacking credibility as well. Hannity's been right by saying they're turning this into a clown show and they're turning this into a game show. And Boebert becoming almost like the spokesperson for this movement. She's already a clown show going in making it even more so. And uh, I, I have to tell you, it's horrible for the country. I can't control the fact that Republicans are doing this, and I would rather that they didn't. But to the extent that they are that, that they are doing it and are damaging themselves, I welcome it. We'll have all of the clips I played here uh, on our Instagram, which you can find at David Pakman show. And of course, all of these clips will be on our YouTube channel. Make sure that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the David Pakman show. Let's make it to two million YouTube subscribers this calendar year would be a major accomplishment. Don't allow the bystander effect to make you assume someone else will subscribe. Be the person who does it. You might remember that a few years ago, uh, the show got hacked and many thousands of dollars were stolen. We never got it back. It's a terrible feeling. It can happen to anyone. But a couple of years ago, we got Aura, which really gives us significantly more peace of mind. And our sponsor Aura is the app that protects you from scammers by alerting you anytime your info like email, passwords, social security number are found in data breaches. Aura also automatically requests removal of your info from search engines and it can reduce spam calls. Aura alerts you quickly about suspicious credit inquiries, like if someone tries to take a loan out in your name. And Aura's password manager makes it easy to keep your account secure to begin with. Aura also has parental controls for your kids' devices. You can restrict apps or manage screen time, set focus time, make sure they're doing homework instead of binging on YouTube. You can try Aura free for 14 days at aura.com slash Pacman. Use the free trial to see if your email password are already out there. You may be surprised. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash Pacman to try Aura free for 14 days. The link is in the podcast notes. Today, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Gloria Mark, who's the chancellor's professor at the University of California, Irvine. She studied attention and stress in the digital age for over two decades and is also author of the forthcoming book out on Tuesday, January 10th, Attention Span, a groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness and productivity. You can find out more about it at GloriaMark.com. Really great having you on. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you for having me. So it's almost become cliche now to repeat some of the things that have been written many times. There's no really such thing as multitasking. What you're doing is quickly switching between tasks. It's also, you know, if you want to find uh, opinions that um, social media and smartphones are killing our attention span, you can find it. But now there's the next layer, which is, hey, you know, maybe that's not actually true. When people do these digital detoxes, they don't really seem to have the benefits. Some claim you can basically find someone making every claim at this point in time. So maybe to start, we can just zoom out a little bit and say over the time that you have been studying these issues, are there definitive trends that we can um, uh, start with about the impact of modern media, smartphone, social media on attention, on stress, on anxiety? Yes, there are. So um, I've been studying this empirically for almost two decades. Now, let me very quickly explain how I study attention. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we started out using stopwatches and shadowing people. And every time someone switched their attention or switched screens, we would uh, note that. We then later switched to computer logging techniques, which are very precise, very objective and unobtrusive. So we can get precise measures of how long exactly people's attention is on any screen, whether it's their computer or smartphone. And we find that over the years, people's attention on any screen has diminished, their length of attention. Uh, And in the last uh, five years or so, we find that it's gone down to about 47 seconds on average. If we look at the midpoint, it's called the median. 
that we find that half of all of our observations of the length of attention is actually less than 40 seconds. 40 seconds is the median. That means that people switch their attention very fast. They don't spend a lot of time on any particular screen. And we know from when we first started measuring this that the length of attention spans have gone down. Now, it sounds like that's a bad thing, but maybe that's an assumption that we should actually try to prove in some way. Right. I mean, one one could say, OK, that that's true. That's what's going on. But it's just a result of the way that the world is. It doesn't objectively mean that there's a cost or a negative. Is there a cost or a negative to that reality? Yeah, unfortunately, there is a cost because we find a strong relationship between the frequency of shifting attention and stress. So stress goes up as attention is is uh, shifted. Now, going back to years of laboratory research in psychology, we know that when people switch their attention, when they multitask among, you know, switching among different tasks, blood pressure goes up. There's a, a, a physiological marker in the body that also indicates that people are under stress. We also know that when people are probed with validated uh, questionnaires about their subjective stress, their perceived stress also goes up at times when people are, are shifting their attention, multitasking fast. So there is a cost, yes. When we talk about the stress and anxiety component, it seems important to distinguish for to take one example, to take social media. On the one hand, we have these aspects of the rapidity with which you can switch between things when you're scrolling social media, the distractive element of picking it up and looking at it when maybe you should be spending an hour consecutively working. So that's one side. We then have the stuff that people like Jonathan Haidt and others look at more, which is the effect of the content and does seeing people's best moments when you're just sitting at home in your pajamas and comparing or right. There's the content aspect when it comes to uh, kids in school, the way that some bullying has moved into the social media space. These are two different things. How can we distinguish the impact of one from the impact of the other? Yeah, so you you would have to do some controlled studies. So you'd have to basically give people uh, uh, social media that has positive content and then give them social media that might have negative content. And then you look at the differences. So you're you're controlling that. Uh, and then there's other things you can control, too, such as the length of posts and see what impact that has. But there's absolutely uh, no question that social media is, uh, it's two-sided, right? There's there's benefits, we, we can't deny that there are benefits uh, for young people, they can have, they can be socially connected to other pe- people, especially during the pandemic, right? It was uh, really a great benefit for a number of people, not, not just young people. Uh, but of course, there is a negative side as well. As you mentioned, cyberbullying, there's misinformation. So there's absolutely no question that there's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. So if we assume that the majority of my audience kind of understands the the guideposts here of the concern and of the reality of what's going on, um, let's talk a little bit about sort of like how one what safeguards or behaviors one can kind of cultivate for for themselves. Um, Neil Postman in his book Technopoly, you know, like 30 years ago, wrote about uh, whenever there's a new technology, there's good and there's bad. The idea of saying let's only allow the good through regulation, it rarely works. And we really just need to, to kind of think through the best way to welcome these technologies in total. All right. And, and sort of limit, yeah. limit the damage that they can do. What should people be doing? Is it, you know, practically, is it you put your phone in a different room, you set a timer and use these techniques where you work 25 minutes. I think it's the Pomodoro technique, 25 right. minutes and then a five minute break and then you switch to something else. And is that is it practical to think people can really do that regularly? Yeah. So first of all, consider there are individual differences. So personality absolutely plays a role in people's ability to self-regulate. Some people are born lucky. Hmm. They have good uh, good abilities for self-regulation. Other people are not born so, 
lucky. But if you're not born lucky, there are things you can do to change. People can develop agency over their behaviors. And if we draw from the work of a very famous social psychologist, Albert Bandura, he's found that uh, people in a number of areas can develop self-efficacy. So with stopping smoking, substance abuse. And so I believe that it's very possible for people to have control over their attention. Uh, how can they gain agency? There's different ways. First of all, uh, you can learn to be more intentional in your behavior. So we do a lot of automatic uh, behaviors. For example, we check our, our smartphones, you know, just automatically without thinking. We check email, we go to social media. What you can do is you can learn to probe yourself, to bring your, your unconscious actions uh, to become more conscious. Uh, I'm a professional observer of people when I study them, and I've learned to become a professional observer of myself by probing myself, probing the reasons why I'm doing things. So whenever I have an urge to go to social media, I recognize that urge. I ask myself, will I get value out of being there? Why do I have this need to go there? Am I bored? Am I doing a hard task, right? And anyone can develop this skill to become an observer of themselves. And once you recognize reasons for why you're doing things, you can change, right? And if you go to social media to take a break, then again, you can probe yourself and say, am I still getting value? Or am I just getting marginal returns? And if you're just getting marginal returns, it's time to get back to work. Uh, let me mention another uh, technique that people can do is to practice what's called forethought. Forethought means imagining your future self. And it could be in the very near future, like at the end of the day. If you go on social media now, how is that going to impact your life at 10 p.m. or midnight? Are you still going to be working on that deadline? Or are you going to be relaxing, have a glass of wine, watching your favorite show? Think ahead, right? Another uh, technique that people can do is to maintain their higher level goals in their mind. Goals are a great shield against distractions if, because, because attention is directed to what our goals are. And if your goal is that you're going to work on this deadline and finish it, right. then your attention will be directed to it. One of the uh, people I've interviewed before is Cal Newport, who writes a lot about carving time out for what he calls yes. deep work. And of course, yes. at the very you know minimum, that means you're not checking your smartphone during this time. But ideally, also, mm -hmm. you're you're limiting other distractions in other ways. And you know, we we've talked with him about that. One of the things that seems to apply in the diet world that may also apply here is whatever you're doing needs to be sustainable, it seems like. And that's one of the yes. better arguments I've read yeah. against the total sort of like uh, social media um, sabbatical of sorts, which is that it creates what's really an artificial situation that that nobody says is going to be the long term situation and that therefore it might be sort of of limited value, whereas maybe there's more value to saying, hey, you know, I know I have a tendency to do my best deep work in the morning. So from nine to 11, I'm not even going to have my phone in the room. And, and so now I'm at least getting to 11 without any distractions. And then from then on, I will do X, Y or Z, that that type of thing. Can you talk a little bit about is it better to jump right into modes that are sustainable long term or do these short term experiments have their place? No, I, I don't think that realistically uh, we can think about doing digital detoxes uh, for a very long time. You know, if if any individual does a digital detox, essentially it penalizes themselves because they're cutting themselves off from important work communications, from family, from loved ones. And you're right, absolutely, it's not sustainable. We, we live in a digital world. The ship has sailed. We can't back away from it. We can't pull out. So what we need to do instead is to think of solutions that, uh, that can enable us to live in this world and to maintain well-being. Now, it turns out that people, um, you know, you can't maintain sustained focus for a lengthy period just in the same way that you can't lift weights 
for an extended period of time. We, we use up our mental resources. Now, people have peaks of time during the day when their mental resources are at their utmost. And for most people, it's mid to late morning and it's mid-afternoon. Mm -hmm. If you can become aware of when your personal peaks of attention are, uh, and you can start with, with these times that I mentioned, uh, then you can gear your work around those times when your attention is is at its best. Yeah, that's been super useful for me. We're very, you know, I used to have a list of things that I sort of planned to accomplish after taping my show each day. And I learned that I would get only to a fraction of that list just because of sort of like mood and who knows other things that that maybe I can't necessarily identify. But I found that the more I plan to do before filming each day, dramatically more efficient, dramatically more mm -hmm. productive. And so now I kind of tailor. I know that if I get to my desk 15 minutes earlier, I'm going to do way more than if I think of doing that at 3 p.m. Now, yeah. I have the benefit of a job where I'm completely in control of my schedule. The reality is a lot of people are squeezing these things in around shift work, for example, and that becomes very difficult. That's right. Absolutely. So so that's right. You know, Every person is different. Everyone has their own personal rhythm. Uh, and you need to gear your work around what your own personal rhythm is for, for your attentional resources. And, you know, for me, I, I can't start work immediately when I get up. I, I need time to ramp up. Hmm. So I, I do easy things when I start. You know, I, I will take care of email. I'll read the news. And then, you know, I'm a little bit geared up and then I can start diving into doing hard work and then I'm at my peak. Now, you know, people can discover their peak by, you know, finding out what your chronotype is. Some people are early types, some people are late types. Yes. It can serve as a guide, at least to get you started, but become aware of when you start feeling exhausted. And the best thing you can do is pull back, take a break, get replenished, and then you can go back in with with a full tank of resources. We have been speaking with Dr. Gloria Mark. Uh, the book, which is out on Tuesday, January 10th, is Attention Span, a groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness and productivity productivity. You can find out more at www.gloriamark.com. Really appreciate your time and your insights today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. One of our sponsors today is Zipix Nicotine Toothpicks. Zipix brings you a convenient alternative to smoking and vaping and the vape clouds, the ashtrays, the thing in your lip that people can see. I've seen that around. This is an easier and less messy way to curb the cravings and you can use Zipix just about anywhere. Zipix is available in six flavors with two or three milligrams strength. The nicotine and the flavor are long lasting and Zipix has helped countless people kick the bad habits and they are bad habits. Zipix toothpicks are FDA registered. Their customer service is second to none. It is one of the most cost effective alternatives also, check out their B12 and caffeine toothpicks. See for yourself why so many people have switched to Zipix toothpicks. You can only get Zipix online. Go to zipixtoothpicks.com and get 10% off with the code PACMAN. That's Z I P P I X toothpicks.com. Promo code PACMAN saves you 10%. The info is in the podcast notes. All right, let's look at a few other things that happened yesterday. Uh, George Santos seemed to forget his own name on the floor of the House multiple times. His name was called a four vote on Speaker of the House on the fifth ballot. He seems not to recognize uh, his own name, which is just funny because, of course, his his full name is George Anthony Devolder Santos. And it raises a question of whether does he even really go by George Santos normally? Maybe he goes by Anthony Devolder or George Devolder or Anthony Santos. I don't know. But here he is. They call him multiple times. Doesn't seem to recognize they're calling him for a vote. The guy to his right seems to tell him like, hey, that's your name, sir. Santos. Santos. <laughs> Sarbanes. OK, and they move on to Sarbanes and then he holds up his hand and yells out that he's voting for McCarthy. 
Jeffries. <laughs> you even you even see Matt Gates come by just kind of like, what is it that is even going on here? Um, so just kind of weird. Everything about Santos is strange. For all we know, he's used to being called some other name. I, I don't know. And um, it seems that he is continuing to struggle to sort of uh, build community in the House of Representatives. And I don't really know the end game for Santos. I the first 48 hours are not sustainable running away with a huge backpack, running away from reporters who want to ask him questions, sitting by himself in the floor of the house, picking his nose, uh, not recognizing his own name. And it's it's all just truly bizarre. But I also have kind of like a morbid curiosity where like how how awkward can this possibly get? And you all know I love awkward. So we're going ahead and going to go ahead and, and follow that. And by the way, the lies from George Santos haven't stopped since he arrived in Washington, D.C. Let's talk about that next. George Santos lied about being sworn in on Tuesday. I don't know how else to explain this to you. George Santos was not sworn in on Tuesday. Nobody was. But he put out a press release saying he was sworn in. It's very binary. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not a technicality. He was not sworn in on Tuesday, but he posted a press release saying that he indeed was Uh, the office of um, George Santos publishing on Tuesday press release swearing in as member of the 118th Congress. U.S. Representative George Santos was sworn in as a member of the United States House of Representatives by the Speaker of the House on January 3rd, 2023. Hilariously, not only is that not true, there was no speaker there. They're voting on a speaker. The whole problem is there's no speaker. And he's like, oh, yeah, the speaker swore I was sworn in by the speaker on Tuesday. No, it didn't happen. Um, If you now go and look at Santos's website, This press release has been deleted. It now says access denied. You are not authorized to access this page um, because it's not true. They had to remove it. Swearing in, of course, happens after the speaker has been elected, after the speaker has been elected. So my question to you about this is the following. Does Santos know that he wasn't sworn in and this was published as a lie because he must have staff? You would think if he goes to his staff and says, hey, um, please publish that I was sworn in, you'd think someone would say, oh, you weren't sworn in. You're, you haven't been sworn in. We, that happens after the speaker is selected. So I don't really understand how this ends up being the thing that happens. It's very, very strange. Uh, t- tell me what you think. Did, was it a lie? Was he confused? Whatever. Steve Almond has been a guest on my program multiple times, and I don't like calling Steve a sports writer because he writes about so many things. But Steve does sometimes write about sports. Laura Ingram on Fox News thought it would be a good idea to bring Steve Almond on last night to talk about what's going on with Damar Hamlin, who um, suffered a cardiac arrest during the game on Monday night. We've talked about it already to some degree. Uh, This was a very, very bad idea for Laura Ingram. Um, He brings up that Fox News has thrown money to settle sexual assault claims in sort of making an analogy to how the NFL will settle brain injury stuff without actually changing the underlying circumstances of football that allow the brain injuries to become common. Everything about this interview is absolutely fantastic. And eventually Laura Ingram just cuts it off when he tries to bring up Laura Ingram's past misdeeds when she taunted Parkland shooting survivors, uh, leading advertisers to flee her show. This is really good. Let's go to the first clip. Putting monitors and helmets to try to make sure that people aren't suffering too many concussive or subconcussive events. These are things the NFL could do tomorrow, but they're not going to do it until there's an economic incentive. The reason they settled that lawsuit is because they had a PR problem. It's like at Fox News when you have uh, you know, hosts who are allegedly sexually harassing people. Fox News throws money at that to right. make that PR problem go away. That's what happens so with do big you not, corporations or powerful right, so, people. Well, nobody, nobody has done more. I mean, you know that, expose, Laura, expose. right? You know that. Well, you yeah, know that's, that's that, a cute little mode, but I'm. Tr- I love it how get, every I'm, time guests call out Fox on Fox, these hosts have some line like, "Oh, that's cute. That's a cute move." No, he's showing up and he's pointing out 
that that which you are criticizing someone else for your employer also does. It's not about being cute. It's that they don't know how to handle it when guests actually point these things out. Let's go to another clip here. They have enormous no, amount the of, fans of influence. Are the ones what who, happened during well, George the Floyd? They had enormous amount of influence on corporate America, the actions of corporate America, the actions of the NFL. I mean, they changed the whole corporate approach to race and equity and, and all the things that happened two and a half years ago. So you say the players don't have all that much influence. I would say the players have an enormous amount of influence, maybe not as much as they want, but there's there's huge economic uh, yeah. upside for everyone here, correct? Well, I know you're focused on the players. I'm focused on the fans. And what I essentially believe is not that any government ban is going to make football safer and certainly not some mythic woke mob that you mentioned to try to scare your viewers. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare the viewers. Football is see... not about politics. It's not about politics. Oh, you're I think making that's your it about entire politics. economic model. What? Your entire economic model is to what scare other your sports should, That's what your other whole sport? gig. I mean, Steve, you and really want you really want you football your to be behavior. banned. Yeah, you want football to be no, banned. No, I, I mean, don't. You, this you is what you this do. Game. Oh, come on. You you what you you want football essentially changed into I don't know what. Like I, I don't know. You have a sensor in the helmet. I guess. Okay. Propose one. You know. It, well, is that know, is that is that technology to troubling to you? No, not in the if slightest. If you're concerned about the not players, in the slightest. Why wouldn't not you want the them slightest. to play in a way that I was safer? You're not I concerned about the players. The thing about people like Laura Ingram is Steve Almond accurately points out. It's it, it is about scaring viewers. It's all about scaring viewers. And when it comes to football, the way they the really scary thing about football and I, and I now have friends who have kids who are sort of starting to get curious about football and they're like, oh, my goodness, the last thing I want is my kid to play football. So they're trying to find a balance between straight up saying you were not allowed to play because then that can cause this kind of reaction where the kid goes, well, I really want to play if I'm not allowed to play just kind of finding the right way to dissuade, softly dissuade uh, their, their kids from wanting to play football. The, the thing about football is it is fundamentally dangerous. The brain injury stuff is completely off the charts. It's shocking to me that football even still sort of exists at the college level. And I think it's possible that if and when the lawsuits start at the college level, uh, it will really, really damage the, the prospects of football. I, I find it you know, mildly entertaining. There's other sports I like better, but it just seems crazy that it's still a thing. Laura Ingram and her model and the model of foxes, we've got to scare the audience. We have to scare the audience and, and ideally about what the left or, or someone uh, uh, external to our movement is doing. So with football, it's they want to have a nanny state where they ban a sport or they want to overregulate football by saying, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to force players out. Concussion protocols are too strict or sensors in the helmet. It's all crazy or what it all has to be fear, fear, fear. They're going to take it away. And with football, there's also the patriotism angle, which they love, which is there's something patriotic and manly. It's both patriotic and manly. And so any skepticism about football and, and football's viability is not only sissy, it's also anti-American. This is the whole sort of narrative. But when it like comes right down to it, Laura Ingram kind of has no choice but to say, no, I mean, I guess I'd be fine with a sensor with a sensor in the helmet that indicates, you know, what were the what were the G forces? Was there a possible concussion or whatever the case may be? Because these are these are perfectly logical things as half measures to really dealing with football big picture. Now, this is not the hill I'm going to die on. I'm not going around looking to end football. It's shocking to me that anybody lets their kids play football at this point. And I know let them you know how, how what it, that that's a whole difficult premise premise as well. Um, but this is how these folks operate. Make everybody afraid. Steve Allman's completely right. When it comes down to it, you go, well, it's not so much that I'm opposed to thing number one or two or three, but we should be very afraid of what they are trying to do. Here's the last segment during which Steve Allman points out she had a problem with advertisers fleeing for things she said, and then she just ends the interview. So thrilling. The reason that people change their behavior is because there's an economic incentive. A couple of years ago, when you talked right, to the got, survivor of Parkland yeah. mass shooting, All you right, apologized oh, only yeah, because yeah, advertisers yeah. Steve, withdrew nice try, from your show. And your nice try, buddy. I appreciate it. It's cut. It is cut, cut, cut. Um, yeah. So other guests have done this stuff before. And the reaction from the hot Fox hosts is is very similar. It's cut it, laugh it off and say it's an ambush or it's cute or it's funny or whatever the case may be. Standard M.O. They all seem to know how to do it. 
but very nicely done by Steve Almond. And I mean, listen, this is Steve Almond's bailiwick, right? That to invite him and think he's not going to do this is really the thing that shows you don't really know who he, who he is. Really nice job. We should have him back on the show soon. We have a voicemail number, and that number is 2192 David P. Uh, the anti vaxxers have immediately swarmed over what happened on the field on Monday, where uh, football player DeMar Hamlin um, suffered a cardiac arrest. And uh, here is uh, here is a call about exactly that. Hey, David, this is Joffer from the Philadelphia suburbs. Yes. Calling about uh, something that I've seen um, circulating around the Internet uh, over the past few days since the DeMar Hamlin um, medical scare earlier this week, the safety from the Buffalo Bills who had a cardiac arrest um, in certain areas of conspiracy right leaning uh, social media, there is this attribution that uh, it's because of a COVID vaccine rather than the fact that a six foot four, 220 pound opponent struck him in the chest running full force. Right. Um, I am a medical doctor. Uh, I can tell you that um, one of those causes is far more likely, and it, I think it has. Um, more to do with the one um, that's going to knock you on your back rather than needing a Band-Aid on your deltoid. However, I don't think you need 10 years of postgraduate training to know that. (laughs) I don't think so. Yeah. And and again, we do not even know the vaccination status of DeMar Hamlin, or at least we didn't as of yesterday when I, I last read about this. And there are so many leaps in logic that are being made here that it is really it's truly a scary thing that these folks for whom, again, they've got a hammer, which is vaccines are bad. That's their hammer. So everything is a nail. Someone gets covid. Oh, it's because of the vaccine. Someone has a heart attack. It's because of the vaccine. Someone dies. It's because of the vaccine. Everything is the vaccine because all they've got is a hammer. And it's a really sad situation. We've got and, and, a, and a destructive one, I should add. Great bonus show for you today. We'll talk about um, uh, something interesting going on with millennials in politics. Southwest Airlines involved in a controversy. A MAGA hat wearing teacher has been, um, in a sense, vindicated legally. All of it is on the bonus show today. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Yeah. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. Sign up at joinpacman.com and we will see you then.